Let's pray. In Psalm 34, David, David writes, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise will continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Father, that's been the desire of everything we've done so far this morning is that is in coming together as your people and coming together as fellow believers in Jesus Christ. Father, some of us who are here each and every Sunday, others who are visiting with us or maybe here for the first time, Father, our one ambition, our one aim is coming together as your people is to exalt and to magnify the name of Jesus Christ, to make sure that whatever else is said, that whatever else is done, whatever we see on a screen or hear through a microphone, Father, that, that in one way or another, each and every part of it will point and direct our hearts to Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for what you've done in our midst even this week with six boys and girls surrendering their lives to Jesus Christ through what was presented and what was shared at, at Vacation Bible School. Father, we thank you for Perry and Jane and the journey you took them on, really a, a, a journey, a lifetime in the making, Father, to see the power of the gospel in a place most of us will never be able to go. Father, we thank you that the, the gospel that reached those boys and girls this week, the gospel that transformed the Waurani tribe in Ecuador is the same gospel we gather to preach and proclaim and celebrate here today. And so, Father, now as we turn our attention to your word, I pray, as always, that Jesus really still will continue throughout all that is about to be said, that Jesus will still be the main and the only thing. Father, you know each one of our hearts here today, where we've come from, what we've been through. Father, whether it's been a very good week or a very difficult one. Father, whether our hearts are soaring and filled with praise or our hearts are hurting, Father, and we're, we're, we're trying to, to grasp on to some ray of hope. Father, there's no preacher anywhere, there never has been outside of Jesus, who can speak to even one of those needs in an effective way in his own strength, much less all of them. So Father, I just hand what we're about to do back to you. And pray that as we open your word, as I speak and my brothers and sisters listen, Father, that you, as always, would be the one who teaches. Father, I pray as we look at your word this morning that you would, by the power and the presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit, guide us in truth. Father, I pray that same Holy Spirit, that his power and his presence and ministry will guard us from error and misunderstanding. Father, I pray that that he will deliver us just from whatever we may have carried in with us this morning that threatens to distract us. Father, maybe there's, there's just some, something in our spirit, something in our heart that, that is in the way. Father, we're distracted. Maybe we're resistant. Maybe we're just confused. I pray that the power and the presence and the ministry of your Holy Spirit will sweep all of that aside so that in these next few minutes together we might see Jesus. Oh, Lord, may we see Jesus clearly this morning in the preaching and hearing of your word. May we see Jesus only this morning in the preaching and the hearing of your word. And when we leave in a little while, Father, let us leave rejoicing, not because we came to church and vacation Bible school and the missionary story were interesting, but because ultimately we got to sit at the feet of Jesus, the one who loved us enough to lay his life down and take it up again for our salvation. It's in his name and for his glory we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And as you're seated, we'll dismiss the boys and girls for Children's Church.
Uh, even if you're visiting today, your children are welcome to participate. It's for our five-year-olds up through about our second graders. They can head out. They're going to spend some time together in God's Word as we are going to do here as well. And if you're remaining behind, if you're in here with us for the rest of the time, I want you to take out a Bible if you have one. If not, I want you to get a hold of one somehow or get up next to somebody who does. And I do not want you to turn to 1 Thessalonians. We are not uh, going there in God's Word this morning. That was the plan as of last Sunday, but sometimes God changes things. And, and instead, I want you to turn in your Bible uh, to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. John's Gospel near the beginning of the New Testament. I want you to go to chapter 3. And the reason I want you to do that is because as, as this week began and I was watching the, and knowing Vacation Bible School was coming up, understanding we were going to have a, a mission spotlight, a very poignant and a, and a meaningful one as well, I just really began to just sort of set before the Lord, is, is 1 Thessalonians where we're supposed to be? And I asked some others to pray about it as well. And in pretty short order, the answer came back pretty clearly, no. Uh, we'll get back to 1 Thessalonians next Sunday. Instead, I want to look at John chapter 3, a passage that's going to be familiar to many of you, uh, in particular a verse that's probably going to be familiar to almost all of you. Uh, but the reason I want to be here is because I was thinking and praying it through. I thought, Lord, what's the common thread this morning? Uh, what should always be the common thread, but specifically? How do we tie together a VBS celebration, a missionary spotlight, a bunch of worship and the preaching of God's word? And, and if you've been paying attention, uh, you'll probably agree with me when I say that the common thread this morning is as it should be the gospel of Jesus Christ. The power of the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ to change a life forever. It's what happened this week at Vacation Bible School. It's what happened uh, 40 or 50 years ago in Ecuador continues to happen today. It's what I believe that as we look at God's word together this morning, this gospel of Jesus Christ may in fact do again here today as well. Change a human life and so for that reason, we're in John chapter 3, and I want to begin reading in verse 1. I'm going to read all the way down through John 3, 16. We're going to look at this story together. This is what the Word of God says. John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I said to you, You must be born again. For the wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from and where it's going. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? Truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. You know, I sometimes say, I've said it to, to several people I know and love, that 
that the four years I spent attending Bible college were three of the very best years of my life. The four years I spent in Bible college were three of the very best years of my life. And the reason I say that is because while my freshman, junior, and senior years in Bible college were nothing short of fantastic, I loved almost everything about it. My sophomore year in Bible college was a very different story. In fact, if I had to sum up my sophomore year of Bible college in one single word, the word I would choose would be miserable. I was miserable for a whole host of reasons I won't take time to spell out here, but most of which I readily confess were entirely my fault about choices I made, about things I did, about stuff that was going on in my heart. But one of them specifically I will share with you. One of the reasons that year was so difficult was for some, because for some reason, still unknown, still a mystery to me today, is prior to the beginning of that year, my sophomore year, I made the decision, again, I have no idea why, to load my schedule, to pack it with senior level courses. I just thought it didn't matter. I had a good first year and thought I could handle it. So almost every class I picked for that entire sophomore year was not a sophomore level class. It was a senior level class. And young people, I'm here to tell you, there's a difference. And it's a big difference. And in very short order, I understood that. Within a matter of a couple of weeks, I understood I was way over my head. I was in way over my head. I did not know how to get back out. I was more confused than I'd ever been before. And finally, one afternoon, it culminated. Uh, just in a spirit of, of desperation and of frustration and of misery in my heart, I very humbly went and knocked on one of my professor's doors. The professor of what was my most difficult, still in four years, was my most difficult class. And I asked if I could have a few minutes of his time. He invited me in. I sat down in the chair across from him. And, and it, it, essentially, in, in these words or, or in whatever words I chose, the question I had for him was this. Can you explain to me, in words I will understand, <laughs> what in the world you're talking about in class? I have no idea. I'm hearing words come out of your mouth. I have no idea what they mean. I hear terms that you're putting on the board. I don't understand their definitions. Can you explain to me, in other words, what I was asking, the question I was asking him was the same question that Nicodemus essentially came asking to Jesus in the story we just read. Because my question for my professor that afternoon was this. It's Nicodemus's question. We're going to put it on the, on the screen. What exactly am I missing here? <laughs> Something's going on, and I don't understand what it is. Something's being taught, and, and I'm not grasping what it's all about. My question for my professor is, what exactly am I missing here? Can you explain it to me? Nicodemus in this story, he's asking the same thing, and he is specifically asking it in terms of what Jesus was talking about, the gift of eternal life. Jesus, you're talking about eternal life. You're talking about the kingdom of God. You're talking about the way of salvation. I don't get it. What am I missing? I hear words coming out of your mouth. I don't understand what they mean. And I am convinced, I'm convinced that what we just read in these 16 verses, the conversation that ensued in and around that question is the single most important conversation two people have ever had on planet Earth. Let me say that again. I'm convinced that what we just looked at and what we're about to look at again is the single most important conversation two human beings have ever had on planet Earth. And while we're not going to take time to dig into all the details, we are going to do our best to walk through it together. The questions Nicodemus brought to Jesus, the answers Jesus gave in return. Because while most of us probably have, have heard some of this story before, and many of us perhaps are very familiar, even from memory could recite the culminating verse John 3.16. We may not be quite so familiar with how Jesus and Nicodemus got to that declaration 
That God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. So let's take a look at how they got there. Specifically, what I want to show you in the time we have left are four facts Jesus delivered to Nicodemus. Four facts that Jesus delivered to Nicodemus about his question. Jesus, what am I missing in terms of the story, the message, the gift of eternal life? You ready? Here we go, number one. The first fact Jesus delivered to Nicodemus on the question of eternal life is, Nicodemus, number one, you need to understand, verses one through three, that when it comes to eternal life, qualifications and connections don't count. Personal qualifications and connections do not count. Because what you need to know, look at verse one again in your Bible. When verse one says that Nicodemus was a man of the Pharisees, a ruler of the Jews, what that means essentially is this. There were few people in the whole land of Israel at that point in history who were better connected or more influential than he was. Because to be a Pharisee meant that on one hand, you had uh, absolute religious authority over the people. The high priest probably is the only one who outranked you, but the Pharisees sort of ran the show, religiously speaking. But they were also men of great political influence. They had, they had influence and, and say over just the sort of the, the social customs and dynamics in people's everyday life. To be a Pharisee meant that when you walked down the streets of Jerusalem, everybody else, the ordinary folks, sort of stepped back, let you walk on by, because you're over and above the rest of the people. But be that as it may, the fact that verse 2, he came to Jesus by night, suggests something. You know what it suggests? It suggests that despite all his power and his influence and his accomplishments and everything that was wrapped up in being a Pharisee, he had a desperate heart. There was something in his heart that was crying out for answers. There's something in his heart that was crying out for hope. What he wanted to know was what this uneducated rabbi, that's what Jesus was, no formal training, What was it, this uneducated rabbi, who was saying things no one in Israel had ever said before, who was doing things no one in Israel had ever done or seen done before, what is it this guy knows that I don't? What does he know, Nicodemus is thinking, that I don't? And by coming to Jesus at night, it suggests he didn't want anyone else to know that he wanted to know what Jesus knew. But he wanted to know it. Something's going on here. And I can't figure out what it is. There's a message being proclaimed, and I have not yet grasped it. So, verse 2, look at your Bible. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know you've come from God as a teacher, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. In other words, Jesus, you're a teacher, and I'm a teacher, but we are clearly not working from the same textbook. We are teaching different curriculum as we go about our lives, ministering to the people. So again, the question is, what am I missing? You're saying something I've not heard before. What is it? And what Jesus reply, look again at your Bible at verse 3. Jesus' reply communicated to Nicodemus. He said, Nicodemus, here's what you need to understand. What you're missing has nothing to do with who you are as a rabbi, who you are as a Pharisee. It's not about your education. It's not about your accomplishments. It's not about your connections. It's not about your influence. It's not about your position or your power or your credentials or anything else. Nicodemus, stuff like that is nice, but when it comes to what I'm teaching, utterly irrelevant. It does not matter in the least because what you're missing, what you, mean, what, what you need is not just more information, You need spiritual transformation. There's something that needs to happen in your heart. 
Nicodemus' qualifications and connections don't count. Truly, look at verse 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So he asks the question. Jesus gives the answer. But if you continue reading the story as we're about to do, what you discover is that though Jesus answered the question, the lights had not yet come on in Nicodemus' attic. He still doesn't understand. So Jesus has to deliver a second fact to him, and it was this. First of all, Nicodemus, when it comes to what I'm teaching, when it comes to the gift, the mystery of eternal life, first of all, qualifications and connections don't count. Secondly, Nicodemus, you should also understand that getting your act together, it won't help either. Getting your personal act together will not help either. Because here's the thing. When Nicodemus says, look in your Bible at verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Remember what Jesus said? He says, unless you're born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus says, how can a man be born when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Now it sounds, does it not, like he's speaking in physical terms. Jesus, you're asking the impossible You're asking a a biological, physical impossibility to enter into your mother's womb and be born again. So Nicodemus knows that can't be what Jesus meant. Can't mean what Jesus, what it sounded like. That's not what Jesus was driving at. And that's probably the case. In fact, at a deeper level, what a lot of people think as they've looked at this story and pondered or examined the question Nicodemus answered or asked is that what he was really expressing to Jesus was this. Not how can I get inside my mother's womb and physically, biologically be born again, but how can a man like me change? You're talking about a change. You're talking about a transformation. And what Nicodemus seems to be asking here is how can a man like me who spent years and years and years of my life cultivating a a rigorous, disciplined, religious way of life, learning and growing and, and accomplishing and achieving suddenly and radically change my entire direction? How's that possible? You're talking about change. I get that. I just don't understand how it can happen. I really think that's closer to what Nicodemus meant. And isn't that what most people think today? It's all about achievement. I mean, people may not, some will. Others may not come out and say it, but I think what most people today and really ever since have, or ever since then have always thought is this, if there's any hope for me, if I've got any shot at heaven whatsoever, I got to get my act together. I got to straighten up. I should probably party less and go to church more. (laughs) I should probably stop swearing and start praying. I should probably get a few good deeds in the wind column so when I stand at the pearly gates and they ask, why should I let you in? I've got some things I can point to to say, see, I did this and this. I'm a good person. That's what we think. In fact, some people believe that with all their heart. Just just the other day, I I came across an an interview with a notable politician, not the one you're going to think it is when I read this quote to you, but a notable politician, nonetheless, a man of influence and wealth and power. And in this interview, here is his exact quote when he was asked about the question of heaven and eternal life. This man said, quote, I am telling you, if there is a God, when I get to heaven, I'm not stopping to be interviewed. I am heading straight in, for I have earned my place there. It's not even close. Some people are convinced it's all about what they've done, all about what they've accomplished, all about what they've given, or how they've benefited others in in an earthly and material sense. And Jesus said, no, 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 Nicodemus, you're missing the point. Verse 5, Jesus answered, look again at your Bible, truly, truly, that means listen up. I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
There's a door. There's a kingdom. There's only one way to get through it, to be born of water and the Spirit. What in the world does that mean? What it means is this. Water, that's a reference to repentance. See, before Jesus came along, his predecessor, John the Baptist, maybe you've heard of him, came along preparing the people of Israel for Jesus to arrive. And and what he did is he went around baptizing people in what? Not a trick question. Baptizing them in what? Water. And Jesus said John's baptism was a baptism, a water baptism of repentance. It was an outward sign that inwardly people were coming to grips with the fact I'm not right with God. And this is an outward sign that I need something internally to happen. He's talking about repentance. So unless someone repents, is born of water, and then born of the Spirit, that's the Holy Spirit. And what the Bible says is it's the Holy Spirit who gives us new life upon repentance. He's the one who regenerates us, who makes us, as Paul would later say, a new creation. Unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, unless they repent and the Holy Spirit of God does something to them, they cannot enter the kingdom. So Nicodemus, here's the second thing you need to know. Getting your act together doesn't count. It's not the answer. Qualifications and connections, that's not what eternal life is all about. Getting your act together, doing good deeds, being a nice person won't help. Furthermore, here's the third thing Jesus delivered to Nicodemus. The third fact he set before him as the conversation continued. Nicodemus, you also need to know that there's a sense in which what's in your head is not going to change your heart. What's in your head will not change your heart. I want you to notice, look at your Bible, I want you to notice something about the conversation. This is just an interesting, and I think it expresses, or maybe subtly conveys to us what's going on inside Nicodemus. Because as the conversation ensues, there's sort of three exchanges. Three times Nicodemus speaks, three times Jesus answers him. And something I noticed about the conversation as I was reading through it this week, is each time Nicodemus speaks, he uses fewer words, but he asks bigger questions. Just look at what he does in verse 2. Rabbi, We know that you have come from God as a teacher. No one can do these signs you do unless God is with him. In other words, he's kind of saying, you know, Jesus, you and I were a lot alike. You know, we're kind of on the same level. Jesus puts that to rest pretty quickly. Second time he speaks is in verse 4. Nicodemus comes back, says to him, fewer words, bigger question, how can a man be born again? Now you're talking about something I don't understand. How can it happen when he's old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Third time Nicodemus speaks is in verse 9. Very simple, very direct. Nicodemus, look at your Bible, said to him, how can these things be? How is what you're talking about possible? I understand you're talking about internal change. I understand you're talking about transformation. How? How does it happen? And I think sort of what Nicodemus, because he's an academic, he's an intellectual. He's saying, could you put something down on paper that would help me? Jesus, a spreadsheet would be wonderful. A little PowerPoint with some bullets on it to help me see how this works. That would be great. Jesus, even a flannel graph would be nice. Just put it in story form so I can see what you're saying. How can these things be? I hear you're saying there's something I need. I just don't understand how it's done. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 10. Jesus answered and said to him, listen to this. He is He is putting the screws to Nicodemus in a a certain way. Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel? (laughs) And you don't understand these things? Not Nicodemus, are you a teacher? Nicodemus, are you the teacher of Israel? 
What does that mean? It means while we don't know where Nicodemus stood in sort of the pharisaical pecking order of who's biggest and baddest and best and most knowledgeable, sounds like Jesus put him right at the top. He said, Nicodemus, you are the teacher. You are the man who's supposed to have religious answers for everybody. You stand in front of the people week after week, day after day, and saying, thus saith the Lord, and you don't understand what I'm talking about. Are you the teacher of Israel? You can't make sense of this thing? What's the deal? Nicodemus, you are a big deal. You're a big deal around here. But Jesus said, for all your learning, and by the way, Pharisees, you know how learned the Pharisees were? One of the, one of the fundamental prerequisites to become a Pharisee, you know what you had to do? You had to memorize the entire Old Testament, or what we call the Old Testament, word for word. That's where it started. He said, you're a big deal around here. You know a lot of stuff. But what I'm trying to impress upon you is that what's in your head won't change your heart. Entering into the kingdom of God is not a matter of human logic. Look at verse 12. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things, earthly things? What's he talking about? He said, Nicodemus, I've already tried to put it in terms you can understand. I talked about childbirth, the birth of a baby. Uh, To help explain to you what's going on, you didn't understand it. In verse 8, I gave you an analogy of the wind. The wind blows where it wishes, so does the Holy Spirit. You didn't get that either. So giving you a more spiritual explanation of what happened, that's not going to help. You can't figure it out at the fundamental level. How's a more spiritual explanation going to help? Nicodemus, here's what Jesus is saying. Nicodemus, you want a formula. You want something you can take out of a box, set on a table, put it under glass, and go, there it is. You want a formula. I'm not into formulas. I don't have a formula. Because what you're missing here is that there is something supernatural. Because the fourth and final and the most important fact Jesus delivered to Nicodemus that day was this. Listen, qualifications and connections don't count. Getting your act together won't help. What's in your head won't change your heart. No, the only solution, the only answer is saving faith. The only solution to your question, your desire, your longing for eternal life is saving faith. And here Jesus turns to something that as an Old Testament scholar, Nicodemus could relate to. Look at your Bible. Let's walk through these final three verses one more time. He says in verse 14, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking about a story from Numbers chapter 21. In fact, hold John 3 and go in your Bible to Numbers 21. Turn your Bible all the way back near the beginning to Numbers chapter 21, because the story here in Numbers 21, just in a nutshell form, is this. It's a story from when Israel was wandering in the wilderness. They'd been set free from Egypt. They were on their way to the promised land. 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And what the Bible tells us is over the 40 years of wilderness wanderings, the people of Israel rebelled against God a lot. They get angry at him. They get irritated with him. They'd complain and they'd gripe, but God would have to discipline them. And here's one of those occasions in Numbers 21. The people got angry at God. They got bitter. They started complaining. And so God disciplined them. Don't ask me why he did it this way. I do not understand. But it says in Numbers 21, the way God handled it was he sent, the Bible says, fiery serpents. That means poisonous snakes among them. And it says they started biting the people and people started dying. As you might imagine, that got their attention. And and in very short order, they went running back to Moses and saying, Moses, you go work this out with God. We're sorry. We know we shouldn't have complained. We don't like the fiery serpents. Could you go to God and tell him we're sorry and take the fiery serpents away? So that's what Moses did. He went to God, Numbers 21. And here was God's answer. Numbers 21, verses 8 and 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, 
You make a fiery serpent. We'll find out in a moment. He fashioned it from bronze and set it on a standard. What's a standard? A standard is a cross. Two cross beams. He said, make a serpent. Put it on the cross beams. And you hold it up, it says in verse 8. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, will live. So Moses made a bronze serpent. He set it on the standard. and And it came about that if a serpent bit any man, when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. So what's the point? The point is this. In order to be saved from certain death, in order to be saved from death, you had to look in faith at the one who'd been lifted up on crossbeams. See the analogy? And, and, and Jesus said to Nicodemus, salvation in Numbers 21. You know the story, Nicodemus. It was an act of faith. And Nicodemus, the same goes today with me. As Moses lifted up, look at your Bible, verse 14, the serpent in the wilderness. Even so must the Son of Man, Jesus said, that's me, must be lifted up so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. So Nicodemus, here is, listen, if you've not been paying attention, I want you to wake up and pay attention right now, okay? This is where the rubber meets the road. Because Jesus' message was this, Nicodemus, here's what you've got to understand. The imperative, exclusive, supernatural message of salvation is this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, I believe that every word of that verse is worth its own sermon, and someday maybe we'll do something fun like that with John 3.16. But together this morning, I want you to look at just three words. Three words, and we'll pull it all together and we'll be done. First word I want you to look at in John 3.16. These may not be the three you, you would choose. These are the three I choose this morning. First of all, whoever. For God, so here's Jesus' message. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that everybody say, Whoever. You know what whoever means? It means whoever, anyone, everyone who wishes to receive the gift of eternal life from me, they can have it. There are no distinctions of race, of age, of education, of background, of economics, of anything. If you want the gift of eternal life I have to offer, if you fall into the human category of whoever, it's yours. Whoever, second word, believes. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, That whoever, not does, not completes, not accomplishes, not fulfills, not measures up whoever, everybody say believes, whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. What am I saying? What's Jesus saying? saying salvation is not a matter of doing. Salvation is a matter of believing, of believing that Jesus Christ has done everything God requires. Third and final word I want you to see. Have. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. Not might have. Not could have. Not hopes to have. Not it'll be close, but I'll probably slide in before the door is closed have eternal life, will have, have it when? Have it now and forever. 
Because the gospel, the message of the gospel is that believing on Jesus Christ as your Savior is a once and for all and forever decision. Jesus' solution, the only one to eternal life, is saving faith in him. So Jesus answered a Nicodemus question. Jesus, what exactly am I missing here? You're saying something, I don't get it. You, you have something I want, I don't understand how I obtained it. Jesus' answer to Nicodemus' question was that the only way to eternal life is this, to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he died for all our sins on the cross, that he rose from the dead three days later. It wasn't a mistake, it wasn't, it wasn't an illusion, it wasn't a dream, it was real. And that if we repent and put our faith in him as Savior, we belong, we are promised the kingdom of heaven. And believing that is enough. As such, there are three questions I want to close with. Three quick questions. And one of these questions applies to every heart in the house this morning. I don't know which one applies to you, but one of them does. You ready? Here we go. Number one. In view of what Jesus, not what I said, but what Jesus said here to Nicodemus, number one, here's the first question. Are you saved? Are you saved? Has there been a distinct point? I don't need a date and time. Nobody does. But has there been a point in time where you consciously said, acknowledged to God, you are there, you are real, you are Lord, I am not. And in fact, what I am is I'm a sinner who's rebelled against you. I'm a great sinner and I need a Savior. I need you to forgive me because I'll never figure it out myself. Are you saved? Have you repented? Do you believe? Some of you need to resolve that before you go. Question number two. This is going to sound like a question for the same people. It's not. It's for a different group of people here this morning. Are you sure? Question number two. Are you sure? What do I mean? I mean, you think maybe, I don't know, I walked the aisle once, I raised a hand, I filled out a card. But I, Boy, if you put it to me, if my life ends today, if my life ends tonight, will I enter immediately into the kingdom of heaven? And you're saying to yourself, I'm not sure. I've been going to church a long time, but I'm not sure. Well, why is that? Maybe you truly haven't. Maybe you've not come to that point of saying, I'm a great sinner. Jesus, you're a great savior. You've been a churchgoer, but not a believer. Maybe you have made that decision, but something entered in. I lived my life this way for years as a young person, doubting, wondering, did I pray it the right way? Did I walk the aisle the right time? Did I say the right words? Did I really, really mean it when I was seven years, whatever, and went through all that? And you know what my problem was? I was putting all my confidence in what I had done, none of my confidence in what Christ has done. And that's the point. It's what Christ has done. Jesus said, you got this much faith, but you have it in the right place. You will be saved. Are you sure this morning? If not, you need to deal with it. Go to him and say, Lord, I want to be sure. All my confidence is in Christ. It's not in me. Third and final question. This is for the rest of us. Are you convinced, are you convinced that this message, the gospel, is sufficient? Sufficient for what? Sufficient for all those people in your life you know and you love who don't have it yet. Are you convinced, as Paul says in Romans 1, that the gospel is the power of God to salvation, that the message alone is enough? See, because Jesus said, the Bible says, that upon becoming believers, we then become ambassadors, that we are charged to take this message and share it with others, and some of us don't ever do that because we think it's all on us. I gotta get the words right, I gotta answer their questions, I gotta anticipate their objections, and I can't do any of that, so somebody else do it. Maybe I'll bring them to church, but I'll never speak it myself. Where are you putting your confidence? In yourself, <laughs> But this message is enough. What did Perry tell us earlier? What did Perry and Jane tell us? 
Somebody has to go. Somebody has to speak. You're here this morning if you're a believer because somebody had the guts to do it. Five men died on a riverbank in Ecuador because they believed the message was that important. Guess what? It was. And it still is. You and I are called to be ambassadors. Many of us are not ambassadors whatsoever. We're silent followers. We need to take this message and share it with others because guess what? It's sufficient. It's not on you. It's on him. And he will cause it to bear fruit and take root. wants it to. Because the gospel of Jesus Christ really is the most supernatural gift this world has ever been given. That's why the big idea of the message this morning is this. Please hear this. Please remember this. Please take it to heart. Jesus Christ has handled the whole work of salvation. The whole work. He died for all of our sin. He rose in absolute victory for all who will believe. And he has entrusted this message to us. And it is enough for those who have yet to believe. Father, I don't know where any of our hearts are this morning. I don't know which question applies to who, what need, what. That's not my business. That's yours. But Father, as we take these just last moments together today to examine our hearts, Father, help each one of us as you direct us to resolve the outstanding question before us. Some of us, Father, here this morning are not saved. We showed up in church, we smiled, we even put on nice clothes, but that's just covering up a, a still unforgiven heart. Father, I pray for those this morning in that position that they would surrender to you. Father, some of us here this morning are racked with doubt, and, and it may be for different reasons, some truly because we thought we knew Christ and really we've just been playing games and we never truly surrendered. Others of us, Father, we believe, but, but we've gotten distracted and confused and mixed up along the way, and Father, we just want to come clean before you and say it really is all about Jesus, it's all about the cross. Father, the rest of us, we've all been called to be ambassadors, and many of us are not in any discernible way. But Father, the world is dying. It's dying fast. People are dying every day without Christ. Father, we don't want to be motivated by guilt. We want to be motivated by the joy, the conviction that this message, this supernatural gift we've been given is the best news the world has ever heard. Father, give us the courage, the boldness, the conviction we need this week, this day, to speak to those who still don't know. Father, take the things of truth as always spoken here this morning and seal them to our hearts. Take the things of the flesh that are irrelevant, that they might be forgotten, so that we truly leave seeing, savoring, cherishing only Jesus in whose name we pray. Amen.